Did anybody hear good news? He is faithful. Is that not good news? Great is his faithfulness. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good morning, Orangewood. Have I told you lately that I love you? I do. Uh, singing that song, it makes me think of uh, Vince Kinnearum. Uh, Ethel's husband went to be with Jesus this week. We had a blessed service on Friday. Miss his smile, and God is faithful because Christ lives. We know that Vince lives too. It's just great to be with you all this morning again. What a great opportunity we have to worship. Wow. My parents uh, went upstate New York for the summer, and they picked the Sunday to leave when we did three hymns. What's up with that? Unbelievable. Hey, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we continue our study in this incredible book inspired by the Holy Spirit from the Apostle Paul's pen with all his personalities and gifts and abilities. But it's for us. It may seem ancient, may seem old, but no, it's living, it's active. It's for your life, it's for my life, it's for God's glory, and it's for this church at a time like this. Hey, I had my, uh, I had my, my big debut this week as a Hollywood actor. It happened this week. It really did. They uh, called on all of my ability to act. Are you ready for this? They asked me to, uh, to play a role as a basketball player. Apparently a role some of the magic players need to learn for tonight. Man, it's been painful. But a, uh, a friend here in the church asked me and some fellow pastors to be a part of a movie, um, uh, Christian film, and I said, sure, um, I'll, I'll be happy to help out. And so me and some other pastors, we were like the old guys. They asked us not to shave, uh, to look kind of tough. You know how difficult it is to make pastors look tough? I mean, I mean, we're like the wimpiest guys in the world. And, you know, you know a week's worth of growth, and, and there we were. And we were kind of the featured team that plays the Harlem Globetrotters. You know those teams that you know they're going to lose and uh, you know that they are not the stars? Actually, we won. So here I am. I'm guarding a 6'9 kid from Lake Brantley. Switch off on a 6'5 kid from Olympia. I'm thinking, what in the world is going on there? Do they not know that I can't play? We even had our very own Andrew Cohn as one of the stars. You won't believe what they did. First of all, they asked me to come out there and they're going to film me showing the world I can't play basketball. And then they tell me the camera adds about a good 20 pounds. I'm already <laughs> self-conscious. You ready for this? They give me a jersey two sizes too small. I mean, that thing added 25 right there. It was just terrible. It was a nice light yellow color. Oh, it was terrible. We had a timeout. It was kind of weird to try to do this because they had certain scenes that you would do over and over and over again. And this was my role. Hey, uh. Jakes, uh, Pastor Jakes, can you set the pick over here for the good guy that can go around and shoot the basketball? So I was kind of the guy that would come out and just set a pick. That's what I did. You know how many baskets I made? I don't think any. I was a pick setter. So if you see me on this big silver screen, look for a big yellow popsicle. <laughs> That's your pastor setting a very, very mean pick. They called timeout. We gave a chance for the old guys to catch their breath. Um, and I strike up a conversation. Uh, by the way, David Swanson's not a bad basketball player. If you're looking for a passer who's a good basketball player, first prez downtown. Um, but don't go, please. It'll really break my feelings. <laughs> anyway, in a timeout, we start asking. I asked the question. I said, hey, has, has, anybody, has anybody read the script 
they, they gave us the script, you know. And so I'm looking around at these pastors and, no, I, I haven't read it. I, I haven't read it. So no one really knew the story. I mean, all we knew was we were out there running around, almost killing ourselves. And I promise you, I'm praying, Lord Jesus, no cardiac arrest, no cardiac arrest. Um, and we didn't know the storyline. We didn't know how the story ended. We didn't know really how we fit in to the storyline. And really how our contributing role plays into the theme and plays into where the movie's going. We basically were just running around like a bunch of buffoons trying not to lose our ego and our pride. That's a lot of the way that Christians live their life. Sometimes we haven't read the script, God's Word. And we forget where we fit in the story. And there's an incredible story that God has. An incredible story that He loves sinners like us. He rescues sinners like us. And there's really, really good news about God's story. You ready for this? He wins. In Christ Jesus, He wins. And sinners are united to Him. And the whole world, the whole cosmos is transformed into a place where God and man dwell together. And you and I play an incredibly important part in his plan. I mean, his son Jesus will always be the star. But he's given us all of that son's uh, glory and gifts in a way that we now tell his story. Are you a child of the living God? Have you embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior? If so, you have a role to play. If so, you have gifts and we can't miss them. And we can't run around as Christians and not realize the big picture and what God has for us. As we've been studying through the book of Ephesians, I mean right out of the bat in Ephesians 1 verses 9 and 10, Paul is going to tell us the big story. So if you're visiting with us, you got to really listen here because here is the big story. That God in Christ is uniting all things to himself. I mean, God is a creator of all things. He created all things for His glory. But we've rebelled against Him. And now God in Christ is uniting, easy for me to say, uniting all things here on heaven and on earth as well as in heaven. He's uniting all things to Himself. We also feel, we realize in this passage, that He is filling all things with His glory. God has mysteriously given us a part in peace to play. And here's how it starts. God is first given to us graciously, according to the book of Ephesians, and true to God's Word, He's given us life. For us to play a part in any of this cosmic play, this, this incredible, redemptive, historic story of God loving us, He had to give us life. So the first thing He did was send forth His Son so that those of us, you and me, who are dead in our trespasses and sins, the mystery of all mystery, through the work of Christ, through His life and through His obedience, through His sacrificial death, through the resurrection, that we, dead in our sins, can be made alive in Christ. What good news this story has. The first and foremost that God has given us life in Christ. Not only that, The book has told us that he's made us one family. You ready? We are? We are family. 
Every one of us, including the family out in Marin County, including the family in Turkey, including the family in Japan. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, guess what? You're my brother. You're my sister. Jew, Gentile, black, white, socioeconomics all fall away because in Christ, guess what? We are one. A beautiful one family in Christ. That's part of His plan. But we're not just one family, each of us uniquely. Each of you sitting here, if you are a born-again Christian, you have been gifted. You have been gifted uniquely to serve this King. You have been uniquely gifted to play a part in His story. So we need to know that. We need to know what is our giftedness. And we're going to have a chance, even at the end of the service, if you're here today and you don't know what gifts God has given you, we're going to equip you to know what God has given to you and to understand your role because you play a vital role in this story. Again, what we don't want to do is what I did this week. Run around on that court, not really knowing what I was doing, not really knowing the purpose. God has sent His Son so we can know. So we can know Him and so we can know our purpose. All right, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 14 today. Let's be mindful that this is God's holy word. It will never lead us astray. Um, It is without error. And it's a love letter written for you and written for me. And it says this, But grace was given to each one of us. Now listen, this is interesting because Paul has been talking to us as a unit, as a family. He's telling us that we're one. But now he's going to talk to us individually. And he's going to say that God has given each one of us grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. Interestingly, Paul is somewhat quoting, he's really quoting Psalm 68, verse 18 here. We're going to talk more about that in a minute with a little bit of a a twist. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might Fill all things. Now, Orangewood, I want you to lean into that and realize through the work of Christ, the one who is uniting all things in Christ, the goal in uniting all things in Christ is ultimately to fill all things with God's glory. It's basically the fulfillment of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a day that we should get on our tippy toes and long for and want to peer into a day with on heaven and earth, God's will is done. And He fills all things with His glory and His knowledge and His presence. And my brothers and sisters, we are the ambassadors to fill all things. But I'm already preaching. I haven't even finished reading the Scripture yet. Let's go back to 11. And he gave the apostles and the prophets. And if we look back up into chapter 2, we will realize that we've been built on the uh, apostles and the prophets. That's the foundation of our faith. Those offices no longer exist. He also has given us the evangelists. Those who go to Marin County, where 98% of the people will not even think about church. Those who are preaching the gospel in Turkey at the expense of their lives. 
those who go to Japan, those evangelists. He's also given pastors, the pastors and teachers. Why are we here? Why am I called to this? According to Scripture, you ready for this? To equip you, the saints. Saints here meaning the children of God. Why? For the work of ministry. We are not here so you can come see us do ministry. We are here to equip you for ministry. Why? For building up the body of Christ. Until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, so that we can be all that Christ has intended us to be. Will you please pray with me? Let us pray. And Father, it's so clear again this morning that You are going to have to come and speak to us in a supernatural way. And Father, You're going to have to do that through a broken sinner like me who desperately needs to hear this message and who desperately needs again to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, to be forgiven and set free. Father, You have called us to Yourself and You've given us life. You have called us to each other and You have given us family. And You have given each one of us uniquely gifts to serve You and to serve one another. And God, we don't want to live our lives running around on the court of life not really knowing the point of the story. Not really knowing where we fit in. Not really knowing what we're supposed to do. So Father, we turn to You. We turn to You and we turn to Your Word because You are the one where we find meaning and joy. So speak to us again this morning. Father, open up our ears to hear Your voice. Father, may the Spirit of the living God shine light into our minds that we understand Your Word, Your calling, the gifts that You have given to us in Christ. Father, we ask that in a supernatural way that You would touch our hearts. Because there's so much unbelief still there. And there's so much sin that's, that's making them hard and crusty and not obedient. So Father, would You please wrap Your loving arms around our hearts and break them so they beat after You and Your glory and Your Son. Father, would You f- empower our feet so we can walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel, worthy of our calling as we looked at last week, so that we know what to do. We're yours. And you had to send your son to rescue us. It cost him his life to make us family. And God, you got a plan for each one of us. And we need to hear it. So come and speak. The things that I say that are wrong or they're merely my opinion, may they fall away and be forgotten. The things that are true and contain the good news of Christ, use those things to make us more like Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. I do have a question for you, and I'm sorry to get right up in your grill with this question, but I got to do it. 
who do you think you are? I mean, really, who do you think you are? I mean, some of you believe that you're God's gifts to the church. I mean, do you really believe you're God's gift to the church? Well, if you don't, you should. Because the reality is, you are. If you are His, if you are a born-again believer, if you are a child of the living God, guess what? You and I, we are gifts to the church. God has gifted us for one another. So if you don't feel like you're much, you're wrong. In Christ, we are complete. In Christ, we are gifted. And in Christ, we are empowered. And in Christ, we need one another. Who are you? We need you. You're a gifted member of this family. The first point, if you want to follow along, you'll see this in your bulletin insert. Confusing bulletin. There's no order of service this week. I didn't know when to come up here, when to sit down, what to do. But God is good. The first thing is this. Our unity in Christ is strengthened through the diversity of gifts that Christ has given to each of us. If you were here last week, you love Jesus enough to come week to week. Blessings to you. You know that last week we talked about that U2 song that Bono uh, wrote, One. Interesting lyrics. We are one, but we are not the same. And again, last week we looked at the fact that that really came from a response he gave to the Dalai Lama asking to come to be a part of a oneness conference. And I didn't quite understand that because I don't see us as Christians being one with those who don't embrace Christ as Savior. But the truth remains that Orangewood, that is who we are in God's eyes. That is the reality. That we are one, but we are not the same. Does anybody struggle with that? I mean, look around. (laughs) Uh, We probably struggle more with our oneness, but that is true that we are one in Christ. But we are unique. We have been gifted uniquely for Christ. We are one, and God loves variety. God loves variety. Look around. Does he not love variety? Turn on the TV. Look at other evangelical churches. God loves variety. Little children of the world, yellow, black, white. God loves those who speak in different languages. God so loved variety that he would send his son to rescue variety. He would rescue us. And we get a picture of the new heavens and new earth. Guess what it contains? Beautiful variety. There is a family that contains every tribe, tongue, and nation all together as one in Christ. So what do we know? That God loves unity. He hates discord. He has made one family, but he has made the picture beautiful with all of our diversity. And each piece fits in uniquely. I love what 1 Corinthians 12 says about our giftedness. He says that those of us who feel like we have weaker gifts, those of us who feel like we have lesser gifts, they're indispensable. Okay, pastor moment. We need you. If you are a member of our church and you have given your life to Christ, God has gifted you. But He's gifted you for His glory, but He's gifted you for us. We need you. Our picture is incomplete unless you're here. Unless you're serving Him as you serve one another. Uniquely, you've been gifted, maybe administratively, maybe in hospitality, maybe in faith, maybe in prayer, maybe in leadership, maybe in teaching. I don't know how God has gifted you. 
But God has. And you're a part of this incredible story He's telling. we got to get you off the sidelines. we got to make sure you know that you've been empowered, you've been gifted. Because we'll never be the united family He calls us to be unless you are in with us in the mix, learning and growing. This is not a, a, a sporting event that we sit and watch. This is a participatory family. Each one with a unique role. Each one with unique gifts. But we also need to look at, first of all, as we look at the giftedness, the immeasurable greatness of the gracious giver of gifts. And it's God and His Son, Christ Jesus. He is so gracious that He would give us gifts. Will you turn with me again? And let's look again at verses 7-10. through 10. It says this, But grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's interestingly, grace is given to start the whole process. By God's grace, we're even saved. By God's grace, He gives us a gift of faith. By God's grace, He gives us a Son who has bled and died for us. By God's grace, He's given us a a substitute for our sinfulness. By God's grace, He's given us life and life eternally in Christ. It's all by God's grace. And our hearts should swell up and say, amazing grace. But there's more amazing grace. This God is not just giving you grace to rescue you. He's giving you grace so you can serve Him. He's giving you grace so you can love Him. Each one of you has been given a measure of Christ's grace as a gift. Therefore it says, and again, he quotes this passage in Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. You know, I mean, he put to death death. He triumphed over evil and Satan. He gave gifts to men. Interesting thing here is when you read the psalm, it says this. This king in the psalm 68, he received gifts from men. Usually a triumphant king came to town. He says, give me your plunder. I'm taking it. When a king came into town and took over, he says, I am now your king. I'm going to take your best men and women to be mine. I'm going to take your best property. But that is not King Jesus. You know what King Jesus does? He rides into town with victory in his hands. Victory over God's greatest enemy and our greatest enemy, death itself. And he is a king who doesn't say, now come and give me gifts. You know what he says? I'm going to give you the plunder. I'm going to give you the gifts. I'm going to give you the life and the life eternal. I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amazingly, He ascended on high. He led the host of captives and He gave gifts to men. Paul goes on to say, In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that He might fill all things. It's an interesting passage here, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm worried about losing you because we're like, he ascended, he descended, we're quoting the psalm. I mean, where, where are we with this? Let me see if I can, by God's grace, bring some light to this. What does it mean that Jesus descended? Well, you wouldn't think maybe that's problematic, but it could mean this, he descended into hell. You think of the Apostles' Creed, you read through 1 Peter 3, that there is this passage where he went and he proclaimed in Hades victory. Is this saying that Jesus descended into hell? I don't believe so. Does this mean that he descended, meaning like, if you picture Moses, 
Moses ascended to the mount of God. And what did he come down with? He came down with tablets called the law. A greater prophet is here named Jesus. He ascends to the heights. And what does he bring down? The Spirit. Is it that sending meaning he gave us the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit that writes the law in our hearts. Now really what I believe this verse is telling us is this. God so loved sinners, so radically far separated from him, that he'd become one of us. That God, the holy creator of the universe, would descend to the point where he'd take on flesh. He'd descend to the point where he would become a babe born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He'd descend to the point where he didn't have a home or a place to lay his head. That he was a pauper. He would descend to the place where he would go and die a death on a Roman cross and be crucified. He descended into a place where he would be separated from the Father and experience hell on earth when he turned, when he, when he realized his Father turned from him and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is descending to the uttermost places. When God turns his back on his own son, why? Listen, church. So he never has to turn his back on us. So one of the incredible gifts he gives us is his forever presence and his forever favor. Because he punished his own son. He descended. Why? So he could fill all things. All authority has been given to him. There's a couple of passages I want to take us to that maybe with this passage makes some sense now. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is known as the Great Commission. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He is telling and He is commissioning His disciples to go and fill the world. Sound familiar? Fill the world. That's what Paul is telling us here. And he says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Does that make sense to you? Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus have all authority as God's Son before the resurrection? What does it mean that God now is saying to us in His Son that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me? You see, the authority given to Christ only came as He descended in flesh to come and rescue us. Yes, He is God Almighty, but now He has authority even over life and death to rescue sinners. All authority has been given to Him. Now He says this, Now therefore go and make disciples to all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What is Jesus saying to us here through the pen of Paul? It's this. Christ has earned a victory. A victory over life and death. A victory that we know the end of the story, church. He wins. And he, now He wants to tell us, listen, I'm going to give you gifts as my ambassadors, as my children, to grow and proclaim that victory everywhere you go. And I will be with you. And as you go, pray. Pray that thy kingdom come. Pray that thy will will be done. And as it is, all of earth will be filled with his glory.
The immense greatness of the giver of gifts is Jesus, our Lord. What are the purpose of these diverse gifts in verses 11 and 12? The first purpose is this, equipping the saints. That God has given us apostles, he's given us prophets, he's given us teachers and pastors for you, to equip you, to serve him. Interesting book I read this week. I mean, I couldn't put it down. I read it in three days. It was called The Unlikely Disciple. It's about a college student out of Brown University, a guy who grows up as a Quaker, um, doesn't have a lot of uh, religious uh, information, knowledge, or background. He's really curious about those evangelicals like us. He's afraid of us. He doesn't understand us. And what he knows of us, he doesn't like. So he decides, he goes and he asks the professors at Brown University, can I take a semester off and can I go study at Liberty University? Jerry Falwell's University. The most conservative, uh, one of the most fundamental uh, universities in America. He goes from Brown. If you know anything about Brown, one of the most liberal educations to Liberty and spends a semester at Liberty. And it was absolutely, absolutely fascinating to see what the world thinks about us. Parts of it he loved. He loved the way we prayed for one another. He loved the way we had passion and worship together. There a lot of things he didn't like. And by, by the way, a lot of things he didn't like at Little Bird University, I don't like either. There's a lot of legalism. There's a lot of moralism. There's a lot of flag waving. There's a lot of moral majority and not enough Jesus and grace for me. And I don't think he really got the true gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. But what he became clear was is this, is they were equipping saints. They were equipping, why? To go and take back our country, to take back our morals or whatever. I think there's a greater story. Church, it's not just so that America is restored to where it once was. It's not so that we all could be registered Republicans and wave flags. There's something so much greater. It's so that the world of every tribe, tongue, and nation will know Jesus as their Savior. It's equipping you to go tell His story to your neighbor, to your workmate, to those you teach with, to those you go to school with. We are here to equip you. Equipping is so important to this church. That's why we have equipping centers. That's why we have women's ministry and band of brothers and C2. That's why we bring in Tim Keller. Because we believe our role is to allow you to stand in the marketplace, to stand in your homes, equipped to be able to shine for Jesus and lead with love. That is such a focus. That's why we have an Orangewood Christian school. That's why so much of what we do is about equipping. Because God has called us to equip you for ministry. It's a huge part of who we are. Remember, God did not call us to give you gifts. Christ does. God has not called us to empower you for ministry. The Holy Spirit does. God has called us to equip you. That's the primary emphasis of so many of the things of what we do. Why? For the work of ministry. Ephesians 2.10 says this, We are Christ's masterpiece. We have been recreated in Christ. Why? To do good works. God has rescued you to give you a ministry. God has rescued you and I so that we are ambassadors. What are we to do? We are to unite all things in Christ, to fill all things in Christ. We are the A plan. Each of us has a ministry. Do we believe it? Is there any urgency to it? Is there any urgency 
for our work of ministry? Or do we really look at Christianity as more of serving my needs and making me feel good? Would we rather have a big cosmic counselor in Jesus or we want a mighty king who's got a plan to save the world? Listen, he could fill the world with his glory by himself. In some amazing way, he chooses you and me, church, to do it. He has given each one of us the work of ministry. We are the A plan. What is your ministry? What has God gifted you to do? Why are we uh, equipping? Why for the work of ministry? Ultimately, for the building up of the body, for the building up of the church. Let me ask you how much time do you spend building up your physical body? How much time do you think about taking care of the temple? It's an important thing. Physical training, Scripture says, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Christian, we should be concerned with the health of the church so much that we're loving one another, challenging one another, being with one another, building up the body, inviting non-Christians to come. It's your responsibility, my responsibility for the health of Orangewood to know and love Jesus, to make this a place that He will dwell with us, to build up the body. How are you doing? Well, there's some mandatory things. I mean, we're going to ask you as members, well, you've got to do two things, nursery duty and set up and tear down. But there's more. Opportunities to serve here, to serve abroad. You know, it's interesting. The Puritans lived their lives in such a way. They get a bad rap, but I love so much of the Puritans writing and thinking. But they looked at Scripture, 2 Peter 3. They interpreted this, that if they live holy lives and they, they evangelize the world, they're going to speed up the day of Christ's return. They had a passion for the world. They knew that they were on mission. They knew that they had to live a holy life. Let me ask you, do we have that same passion? Have we lost it? Are we on mission for the King or submitting to Him? Well, the goal of our diversity, I'm running out of time, but basically is this. To obtain the unity of faith, we'll come back to obtain the knowledge of the Son of God, to obtain the maturity of manhood and the fullness of Christ. There is so much more. Let me ask you in closing, do you know the giver of good gifts? Do you know the giver of good gifts? Do you know Jesus? I mean, that's, that's ultimate. Do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Amazing to think about this guy who wrote The Unlikely Disciple. He spent a whole semester pretending going to prayer groups, going to counseling, singing in the choir at at, uh, Jerry Falwell's church. The last person to ever interview Jerry Falwell. He spent a whole semester so close and yet so far. And that just haunts me to think that there might be some here that are so close to knowing and loving Jesus and yet so far away. Do you know personally Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know how God has gifted you to serve the church? We have outside waiting for you at one of the tables a spiritual gift test. If you're not sure, and these come right out of 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. If you're not sure what your spiritual gifts are, you're not going to know how to use them. Let me encourage you, they're free. Go and take this test and, and wrestle with God. How have you gifted me? And then contact us and say, here's how God has gifted me. How can I get plugged in? Write in your bulletin. Q 
community at Orangewood. There's going to be service opportunities for you, for you right here. Are you involved in any of these? Any here locally? Any here to serve the body? God has gifted you and called you to help build up the church. What a privilege is ours to be family. He's uniquely gifted you. May we not be a bunch of folks running around on a basketball court, literally, not really knowing the big story, not knowing how God has gifted us. Let us pray. Father God, these are the days of Elijah, meaning this, this is our time. This is the part of the story and redemptive history that you have written us into the script to tell of your love, to show your love, to rescue the lost, to love one another, to build up the church. Oh, Father God, find us faithful. Father, you have called us to be family, but God, you have made us a diverse family. And we need every gift. There's too many here at Orangewood that sit on the sidelines. There's too many that that aren't using their gifts to make the body of Christ all that she can be. But God, there are several who are serving you. And God, I thank you. God, not out of guilt, but out of grace. May each one of us turn to you and say, you've given us life. We are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Father, show us how you want us to build up the body. Show us how you want to use our gifts to bring you glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.